We certainly are living in uncertain times, and we have been for some, some time now. In fact, every generation down through history has lived in uncertain times. And that's why the Word of God is so important for us to look at because it has stood the test of time through all the changes of culture and uh, different um, societies that have risen and nations that have risen and fallen. God's Word has stood the test of time, and that's why it's so valuable for us to look at it and to be able to apply it to our lives personally in this time that we're living in and in the culture that we live in right now. And all of us certainly... um, go through times where we feel unsettled, we feel discontent, whether it's things like we're dealing with now coming out of the pandemic and still some of the unknown factors that we have and things that we're still dealing with, concerns that we have. But it could be things that happen in our own family with our kids or with our parents or family members. It could happen with our jobs, our finances. There's just so many things that can cause us to feel anxious and and discontent. And so as I was praying about what the Lord would have me to share as we move through some of these summer weeks and the summer month, I felt the Lord direction that um, we should revisit this writing that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Because it was written at a time when Paul was certainly going through a difficult phase of his life Uh, If anyone had a reason to be discontent, it was Paul. And yet he wrote this in the middle of being in prison for his religious beliefs and his faith. And he wanted to write it to encourage us as believers. Particularly, it was written to uh, believers in the city of Philippi. And I'll tell you just a little bit more about that background as we get into it. But it's something that applies to all of us today as followers of Jesus. Because again, if anyone had a reason to be discontent and discouraged in his faith in Christ, it would have been Paul. Because uh, during his ministry, he had suffered physical abuse. He had uh, suffered threats on his life and actual attempts on his life. Um, he had been falsely accused as a troublemaker. He survived a shipwreck that took everything that they had except just literally their bodies and their clothing they had on Uh, And now he was in prison in Rome at the time that he wrote this, again, for his religious beliefs, simply because of his faith in Jesus and his desire to tell others about Jesus. And he was concerned because he knew that other followers of Christ that saw this happening to him, he was afraid they might become discouraged. And so he wanted everyone to know That faith in Christ does not exempt you and I from the problems that we go through and the difficulties of life. But what Christ does in our life is he can give us a peace and a contentment and a stability in the midst of all of that turmoil that's going on around us that can help us face life successfully. Now, we're not going to cover this particular chapter where he makes this statement. This will be a, a couple of Sundays from now or a few Sundays from now. But there's one statement that he makes to the church in Philippi um, that I want to share with you this morning that really formed the basis of why I felt led to do this sermon series, and it really sets the tone for the entire writing of Philippians. Uh, Some have entitled it, you know, a reason for joy and all of these things, and it does deal with that. But for me, the heart of this that Paul is dealing with is how do you live in a difficult world through difficult circumstances 
and maintain a sense of peace and contentment within yourself and not allow all that to, to just cause us to be anxious and upset. So here's what he states a little later in the letter. He says this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I mean, I read that, and it's like, okay, tell, tell us the secret. I want to know. What is it? And so, really, that's what this whole study in Philippians is going to be about. So, this morning, as we look at chapter 1 together, we need to understand that Paul here is forming the basis of contentment. What is it, as he's writing this letter, what is he reminding us all of that is the foundational principle? If you're going to be content in a world of discontentment and a bunch of discontented people, how can you keep your focus and stay centered so that you can feel that sense of peace and contentment within you? And so he starts out, let's look at it in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. He has this opening greeting. Paul and Timothy, which Timothy was one of his uh, young uh, people that were following Christ with him and, and he was training in ministry. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that opening statement, it was a common statement that was used. It was kind of a formal way when you were writing or addressing someone as a believer in Christ to another body of believers. But it was a common greeting, grace and peace, even when sometimes they would meet each other in person. That would, like today, we'd say, hello, how are you? Well, in, in that day among Christians, it was grace and peace, grace and peace. And that was kind of that greeting that they had for each other. And it was a reminder, as he was writing this greeting to them, it was a reminder of where this sense of true contentment comes from, and it was helping them to be reminded of two things, grace, which is undeserved favor. So it was a reminder to them, you know what, these things that God is giving us, we don't deserve them, but God in his love for us and in his grace, because grace means undeserved favor, God has given us this grace, and we're so grateful for it. And then the, the thing that follows that is peace. We can experience peace with God and peace with each other as we learn to live in the grace. It doesn't come automatically. We have to learn to live in it, apply God's word to our life. And that's why this writing is so important. And I hope today as we go through this that I'll just be able to bring some things out that you could apply to your life that will help you to experience that grace and that peace in a greater way in your life. Paul had reminded believers in other churches and in other cities, and so I'm going to take a few of his statements that he wrote to other Christians, because again, this wasn't just for the people of Philippi, it's for all of us as followers of Jesus. But here's what Paul writes about this basis of contentment, this foundation of contentment and peace. It's got to be centered around a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he writes this to the Colossian church in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. He says this, For it pleased the Father that in Christ all the fullness should dwell. What Paul was saying is, in Christ Jesus we see the embodiment of God our Creator. It's what I felt prompted to pray. It wasn't planned in, in the opening prayer this morning as we started this service. But God has revealed himself to us, not only just through his creation, but literally he visited us. 
through the person of Christ. And this is what Paul came to realize, and it, it rocked his world, it changed his view, because initially he persecuted Christians. He was not a follower of Jesus. But after he had an encounter with Christ, and then he began to see what Christ was doing in the world through his Holy Spirit, it changed his life, and he became, became the great follower of Christ, and God used him to um, be a witness still to us this day. For it pleased the Father that Christ, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So again, God is the one who in his grace is extending peace to us by giving his life on the cross of Calvary. I know we can't fully understand what and why, did, why would God do this. I mean, as we study some theological thoughts and we study the scriptures, we begin to grasp it a little bit. But even if you don't get that, just the fact of what Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than a person lay down their life for their friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He gave his life in the most simplest form. He's saying, this is how much I love you. I'm willing to die for you. But more than that, he conquered death so that in him we could have a relationship with him, not only now, but for all eternity. And this is what Colossians is saying. It's true. God has made peace with us through Christ, through the blood of his cross. Romans 5.1, the apostle Paul writes this, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where contentment begins. It's the foundation. It's the basis. It starts with an acknowledgement of what God has done for us and his love. And when we begin to recognize that and then we respond to his grace, we respond to his peace that he offers, we can start to experience a peace that the world cannot give. And that is what Jesus said that he came to offer. You know, I was thinking about this, and over my years of working, uh, before I ever became a pastor, I mean, I've certainly seen it as a pastor, but even before I became a pastor, when I was working in the field of graphic arts and all this, and some of my coworkers, and, and I'm sure we've all met people like this, but it just seemed like there was some people I would deal with or work with that constantly it was something. I mean, it was just something that they were upset about every day. It was like if it wasn't one thing, it was another thing. And it was one crisis after another. And on and on it went. And it just seemed like they weren't happy unless they were unhappy. Have you, I mean, have you ever seen? It's like if they came in a day and they didn't complain, you're like, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And uh, there's some people like that. They're not really content unless they're discontent. It's a state that they have just gotten so familiar with that they feel weird if it's any other way. Well, that is not the way that Jesus wants you and I to live our lives. And that's why Jesus said these things to his followers. His words are recorded, so I want to remind them of you today. You've heard me preach on this, and I'm sure you've heard these, but you need to hear them again today. Jesus said this, his words are recorded, John 14, 27, peace. I leave with you. Notice that. Jesus didn't say, I'm taking the peace with me when I go. He said, I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you, and I want to leave my peace with you. I want you to learn to live in my peace and contentment. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. I love the way that is worded, do not let your heart be troubled. 
Because as human beings, that is kind of our natural tendency, right? We can tend to let things bother us, let things happen, and we let ourselves respond in a certain way. Jesus says, you don't have to react to trouble in that way, so don't let your heart go there. Focus your heart and your attention on me and what I am giving you and know how much I love you. I've given my life for you. I've proven it. For those of us who didn't see Jesus die on the cross personally with our physical eyes, we have seen the effects of his life, death, and resurrection through people who truly are walking in communion with Christ and who love him and who have ministered to our spirit and our soul. That's, that's why you're here today. It's, it's why you're here, whether you're in person or you're listening online. Somebody, sometime, somewhere has ministered to you in some way that has caused you to have a desire to want to be here. Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, my wife drugged me here today. Or my, but, but whether you know it or not, God was working through that. God wants you to experience his peace and his contentment in your life. So Jesus says, don't let your heart go there. You need to, it takes some effort on your part to think about these things and then to put your trust in me. And then you'll begin to experience my peace. John 16, his words are recorded. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Again, Jesus didn't say, um, I have spoken these things to you so that when the right person gets in office in your government, you'll have peace. He didn't say, when things go just right in your life, then you'll have peace. He said, I've told you these things so that in me, you can have peace. It's not all the external stuff. It is a relationship with your creator God who loves you and desires for you to be in a relationship with him. And he loves you so much, he's allowing you to make the choice and the response. He is not an abuser. He doesn't force himself on you or I. He says, here I am, and I want you to invite me in. I love you so much. What more do I have to do to prove it to you? I died for you. I rose again. I've left my word for generation to generation to generation, a text message that none of you read. You read everybody else's text, but you don't read mine, and I've preserved it for generations. You see, he wants to be in relationship with you, and it's only in him that we begin to find that peace. That's why the world is in such disarray, because they're looking for peace in every other solution. In the world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, take courage. I've overcome the world. You know, with all the changes in culture, not only in our lifetime, but in previous generations and throughout the world, different uh, cultures of different nations, it's, it's constantly changing. Jesus Christ, I love this statement about Jesus written in Hebrews because it speaks the truth of Christ. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that includes tomorrow, in case you're worried about tomorrow. The same yesterday, today, and forever. What that means is in his character, in his love, in his promises, he is not wishy-washy. He doesn't change his mind. He is consistent. He is stable. And he is someone that through all the changes and turmoil in your life, you can go to him because he is constant, and he's firm, and he's loving, and he's there for us. Just like 
uh, when a boat is uh, on a lake and it's really stormy and the waves are coming or whether it's on a river or whatever body of water and they'll drop an anchor down because they need to keep that boat from being tossed around by the waves and the wind and that anchor hits the bottom and it grabs onto the bottom and then it kind of helps keep that ship from going off course, keeps it stable. This is what we need to realize in our life when we're surrounded by all kinds of turmoil, things that upset us, decisions our kids make or our parents make, our family members, or all those things that are beyond our control, but we love and care about them. And we're like, God, what is going on? And it's so easy to be drifting. Christ is, he's not only the anchor, he's the ground that the anchor is on. He's the rock. And so he is the one who is consistent. And that's why I'm putting so much emphasis on something that may seem so obvious, but this is why so many believers in Jesus, even today, don't experience contentment and peace in this troubled world. And they live anxious lives. We need to be reminded of this basis of contentment. Isaiah the prophet, way back in Old Testament times, writes this in Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What, what Isaiah was saying is the person who is going to experience true peace in the midst of turmoil is someone who has learned to keep their mind focused on you, God, and your eternal nature and your love. Again, like that anchor chain that's holding that anchor and the anchor is fastened to the rock and you're held still, you got to have your mind focused and stayed on Christ. That word that's uh, translated from the Hebrew into English as stayed, it literally means this. It means to lean against. I'm stayed on this table. And God's a lot more stable than this table, by the way. <laughs> it means to rest upon. It means to support, to brace to sustain. So we need to do that. We need to rest upon Christ. We need to lean upon him. He holds us through those times. You can do that. The Apostle John writes this about Jesus and about his Holy Spirit. So he wrote this after Christ ascended up into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit. This is what John said. Now remember, this is written by a guy who walked with Jesus in the flesh, saw him, that saw Jesus ascend into heaven bodily and then also experienced the power of Christ's Holy Spirit in his life along with other disciples um, weeks later when the promise of Christ came and the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them and came into the world in a new way. In a new way. John writes this, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And then the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, 9, the second half of that verse, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That's how serious this is. This is not a game. This is not a checklist. This is not a come to church and I've come to church now three Sundays in a row, woohoo, I must be in really good standing with God. You've heard the old saying, just because you walk into a chicken coop doesn't make you a chicken. And just because you walk into church doesn't make you a Christian. God is all about the internal spirit connection with him. It's not about the outward, what you say and what you do. He wants it to be a true inward heart thing. And if it's a true inward heart, soul, and spirit thing, then there will be a change in your actions. This is why I get so troubled about people who claim to have accepted Christ, but then live totally in a way that 
is not honoring to Christ or not what Christ teaches in his word. And we say, oh, well, that was written back then. It doesn't apply today. Well, there's a disconnect. And this is not a judgmental statement. Again, this is not, a, this is not meant to scare you. It's not a scary thing. But I want you to see how serious this is. Because this is why people do not experience contentment in their life today, even if they call themselves a Christian, because they do not have the connection with Christ, the communion with Christ at that deep, most, inmost level in the Spirit. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. So what this is describing is a communion with Jesus. Communion is not just a little ritual that you do here in church where you take a piece of bread and some fruit of the vine and you go through that little motion and you say, oh, we had communion today. Well, if you're not in relationship with Christ, no, you didn't have communion today. You went through a little religious observance that doesn't really mean anything to you. But if you understand what that represents in the true communion that Christ offers, that he gave his life for you, he sacrificed, he rose again, he wants to be in relationship with you. And in the same way that you take those elements physically into your physical body, you need to take his spirit into your spirit and invite him in and allow him to work in and through your spirit. Now that's communion. And that is the basis of contentment. Everything rests on that, begins on that, but it, it grows out of that. So it is a deep spiritual relationship and intimacy with the Spirit of Christ. And it is something that we need to grow in and be aware of. Just like we grow physically, we need to, to learn to discern and grow spiritually. So another word for that communion is fellowship. And now the Apostle Paul moves into this as, as we go on in. And I will move through the rest of this chapter a little more quickly. But that needed to be said to lay the foundation. So the, the second part of this basis of contentment not only flows out of a communion with Christ, but it flows into also a fellowship with other followers of Jesus, people who truly are wanting to follow Christ, have him in their life, and are learning to live for him. Not just people who are Christians in name only and casual Christians, people who sincerely are wanting to grow in their relationship with Christ. When you begin to get into fellowship and communion with them, it will begin to help you. So a communion or a fellowship with other believers. Let's look at verse 3. Paul goes on, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Now, that word in the original Greek text that's translated into English as partnership, that word is koinonia, and it means fellowship. And I have to confess, when I was a kid, and even as a young adult, you know, I'd hear him talk about fellowship at the church, and I'm sorry, but I just always felt that was just kind of cheesy, you know, no pun intended, but it seemed to always be related to food, you know. Uh, we're going to have a fellowship dinner, or let's meet in the fellowship hall, and you have your potluck, and you, you sit and you eat. Fellowship is so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. that. That's a part of fellowship, but that's just so superficial. True fellowship is when you go down deep and you're praying with somebody who, who has problems in their life, but you're there to say, I'm going to support you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to walk with you through this. 
It's the type of thing that we encourage through life groups within the church here at Porterfield and through uh, people that work together and serve in the church. We do it as a staff, and, and we encourage everybody, you need to be in true fellowship and communion with other believers who are seeking to follow God and honor Him with their life. Uh, I know BSF is one of those ways, um, or yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bible Study Fellowship. BSF is one of those ways in the area. There's all different ways that God provides that you can be in fellowship, true fellowship with other people that's beyond the superficial. And that's another way that you can begin to experience contentment because you know you're not alone. So this is what Paul is writing. He says, I am so thankful for you. Even while I'm in prison, one of the reasons I can experience contentment is because I remember and I know I have a partnership with you in the gospel From the first day until now, verse 6, look at this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's the other thing that helps us to feel a sense of contentment when everything seems out of control, and that is God is still at work in this situation. I haven't seen the end of the story yet. I'm not a huge basketball fan, but like last night, I started watching some of the game, And I don't like blowouts. And so, like, in the first quarter when the Suns were up by, what, 16 points or whatever, I'm like, I don't, I just don't want to watch a blowout. So, I started watching something else. And yes, I do watch TV occasionally. So, um, and Julie was with me. And so, we were watching something else. And a little bit later, I thought, well, I'll just check on the game. And so, I looked, I looked on my phone to see what the score was. It was halftime. And the team that was behind by 16 points was now ahead at halftime. I'm like, What? What in the world happened? So then I started watching the game. (laughs) And the point is this. That's how we are in life. We can feel like we're so behind with stuff going on that's out of our control, and we feel like it's a blowout and we got no shot. And we got to remember, God is not done yet. He is still in the midst of this. He's working in ways that you cannot see or feel. And so you need to stay in there because the reason that team was able to come back is because they didn't throw up their hands and say, well, we've lost, we're done. They kept chipping away, they hung in there, and that's what Jesus wants you and I to do in life. When you feel overwhelmed, when you feel down, keep your eyes on Him and understand that He's going to complete the good work that He began in you, and He's going to complete the good work that He began in your kids and your family members and other people that have professed Christ as Savior. As we pray for them, as we encourage them, as we trust God, God is in control. Uh, And when I say control, he is sovereign over that, and we have to trust that he's moving in ways that we cannot see. He's bringing people into their life, uh, and he's going to work in her circumstances. So God is still working in your life, and God's still working in the life of other believers. I've prayed this often over the last 10 years as my kids have grown on into adulthood and moved away, and, and now they're back in the area and everything. We're thankful for that. But, you know, when, when somebody is away from you or out of your reach, so to speak, they're not out of God's reach. And so that's what we would pray. We'd just pray, God, surround them with people that love you and that care about them. And please, Lord, speak to them, draw them, work through those ways to touch them because we know that they're not beyond your reach. And, and I pray that for people in the church. I pray that in my own life. Well, this is what Paul was saying. He was confident that God was still at work. So even though he was in prison, he didn't understand it all. He had that sense of contentment. He had learned the secret of contentment. 
Actually, uh, one of the things, just to give you a little backstory of the people in Philippi and why they were such a blessing to Paul, is when he was on his second missionary journey, he came to this city of Philippi, he preached Jesus, God did some amazing things there, and if you want to read about it, I encourage you to actually read the scriptures. In Acts chapter 16, you can read the backstory on this and how God worked through Paul and how that church at Philippi got started. So, I encourage you to do that. But a church formed as a result of Paul being in that city, and because of that bond, that communion, that fellowship, no matter where he traveled after that, they wanted to support him in ministry. And so when they found out that Paul was in prison in Rome, they sent a man named Epaphroditus. He may have been their pastor, we don't know, but he absolutely was a church leader. And they sent Epaphroditus from Philippi to Rome to encourage Paul. And here's the point. We can experience a contentment, even when things are discontented, through God working through other people. Uh, how many of you just, um, in some time in your life, when you've gone through a tough time, um, you had somebody who loved Jesus uh, in whatever way, but they did something to encourage you, whether it was maybe they, they fixed you a meal or they sent you a card or they came alongside you, they prayed with you, they visited, they, just, they did something that you felt like, wow, thank you, God, somebody cares about me. And it, just lift your hand. I want to see this. I like to do these lift above high. So that's awesome. So look around. You all know what I'm talking about. This is how we experience contentment in discontented times, and that's why we need each other so much in the church. We need to pray for each other. We need to support each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to stop bickering and infighting. And, and thank God, I, I don't see a lot of that here. We're not a perfect church, so it exists a little bit, you know, and has off and on. But the point is I'm encouraged because I see so many people here truly loving Jesus and loving each other and being supportive. And that's what makes a church healthy. And it's what helps us to experience contentment in these tough times. So this is what... Uh, Paul experienced. In fact, Epaphroditus, when he came to visit Paul, he even brought a financial offering in case there was things that Paul needed while he was in confinement there. And the church had done this for Paul on past occasions. So, now that you know all that, let's look at what Paul writes in verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Here again, he's reminding them of this. We don't deserve this, but God has given us blessings. Let's never forget it. Verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul, even in his distress, is praying for them and he's grateful that they are praying for him. And he's saying, I just pray that even though we don't understand, you know, why these things happen, I'm praying that God will give you discernment, give me discernment, because we know we can trust him. So that moves from those two things, a, a communion with Christ, a fellowship with other believers. Now he shifts gears a little bit, and he starts talking about having a proper perspective of life. How do you look at the circumstances that come your way? And he was reminding them here, we're going to see that God, he could see, was even working through his difficulty, or in this case, his chains. So let's look at verses 12 through 20. 
Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So he had a reason to complain, but he knew that God was using his uh, imprisonment to, to have people start talking. In other words, what was happening was there would be people saying, well, well why are you here? Why, why, why have they kept you here? And he would tell them, well, I'm here because of my religious beliefs. Well, what religious beliefs? Why would they put you in jail or, or confine you? Well, because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And then he would tell about Jesus and he would tell about what Christ had done and how he experienced Christ and, and the, the mighty things that God was doing. And so it was an opportunity for him to share that he wouldn't have normally had with people there. So we, let's look on in verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul is saying, because I'm being bold here and not cowering in fear and being all down in the dumps and oh, woe is me and life is terrible and why are you letting this happen to me, God? Which, by the way, this is, a, this is kind of a caution to you. If you're a follower of Jesus and that's your attitude all the time or constantly around people, well, I follow Jesus, but I just don't know why this is happening. It's, it's terrible and life's awful. Do you really think you're going to lead a lot of people to Christ that way? <laughs> or how many people, it's not that we really lead people to Jesus. I mean, he works through us, but the point is we're not really showing a lot of confidence there. But if we can face life in a discontented world with contentment and peace, then people are kind of drawn to that. And they're like, wow, why are you not you know, upset like everybody else is? Well, because I have Christ in my life and he gives a peace the world can't give. And then you're beginning to, to speak positively and, and the truth about Christ and the gospel and it draws people. So this is what was happening. Other believers were having courage and boldness because of Paul not being discouraged and continuing to, to tell people about Jesus. Now he says this in verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. I'm going to come back to that in a minute to explain what that means. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul's saying, I know that the things that people say about me and about Jesus, some of it's true and some of it's fake news. Some of it's not true, it's false. And some people are talking about Jesus and they're running him down because, and they're saying things about Jesus that aren't really true because they're looking for a way, they have a false motive, they want to stir up trouble for me. But you know what? I'm happy they're talking about Jesus because people now who once never heard of Jesus or didn't talk about him, all of a sudden they're getting familiar with the name Jesus and then it gives us an opportunity to talk about Jesus and say, let me tell you who the real Jesus is. Let me tell you what Jesus really did. You say, Mark, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, let me tell you about a marketing technique that is used. And it might sound crazy, but I have heard people talk about this. But if you have a product or if you're with a company, and let's say there's a scandal or something that happens concerning your product, what do normally people have to do for advertising for their product? They have to pay big dollars, right, for advertising. But what happens if there's a scandal or something involving your product? What happens? 
free advertising because it's talked about on the evening news. It's on all the apps. The word is out there. And you go, well, Mark, that doesn't make sense because it's bad news and it's negative stuff. A marketer doesn't care what they want is name recognition. Like, oh, but the more people, whether it's good or bad, the more people that hear the name of this product or the name of this company, now we're becoming, we're, we're getting our name out there. People know about us. And then they can have the opportunity if they want to, to shift and spin the narrative, so to speak, but at least people have heard the name and know what you're talking about. So as crazy as it sounds, this is what Paul was saying. Whether people are talking about Jesus in the wrong way or the right way, they're talking about Jesus. And so I'm going to rejoice because it's an opportunity for me to proclaim the truth of Christ. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now look at this in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Two things here. It's interesting. Paul says, I'm confident that I'm going to be delivered from this situation in jail. It's going to come one of two ways. Either God's going to answer the prayer, and I'm going to be returned to you, and that'll be rejoicing, or I'm going to die, and I'm not going to be in jail anymore. I am out of here. I'm going to be delivered. So whether it's by life or death, it's good news for me. It's just a matter of which route God wants to take. Now, who could speak that unless you had a contentment in Christ and realizing that there is truth in Christ Jesus? And then he makes this statement. He says, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. So again, look at that word exalted that in English, when you look at the original Greek word that Paul wrote the scriptures in, when you translate that into English as exalted, another English word that can be used there and is in some translations is magnify. The, the Greek word is megaluno, and it means to magnify. It's where we get the English word magnify from. It means to enlarge to show great, to make conspicuous. And so he says, um, now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. Well, what does that mean? Okay, let's think about magnification uh, from kind of a mechanical standpoint, so to speak, or let's think of it in an optical way. Magnification happens by, because of a lens, Right? The light rays travel through the lens, and because of the way the light diffracts through that lens, it can make objects that are far away seem closer. A telescope can do that with the use of a lens. Or, in the case of a microscope, it could make things that are small and tiny and you can't see with the naked eye. It enlarges it and makes it big enough that you can see some detail and you can understand it better. This is a great illustration of what Paul is saying that your life and my life should be in our body. We should be a lens that magnifies Christ so that as his spirit works in us, for people who feel like God is far away, as his spirit works in us, we can bring God close to them because we can help them, we can minister to them in tangible ways, we can uh, serve them, we can love them, we can be Christ's hands and feet. And in another way, for people who don't understand God, even though we don't fully understand him, but just like what I'm praying today, that this message is like a lens, like a microscope. I'm taking something in the scripture that might seem, how, you know, where's all the detail and where is he getting that from? Well, I'm trusting it's from the Holy Spirit and his spirit is magnifying through me and through this message today something that you wouldn't normally see with your physical eye, 
But hopefully in your spirit, this is making sense to you and you're starting to get a little more detail and you begin to understand it a little better. You and I can live our lives that way to make Christ, who to some seem far away, come near. And for those that feel like there's a lot they don't understand, you can bring it in an understandable way by the way that you love them. And that brings me to the final thing for this morning as we look at these last verses. The basis of contentment also involves purpose and promises, a reason to live and a reason to die. And that's what Paul says in Philippians 1.21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul was saying, even if I would die in this situation, I could still be content because I'm trusting in the promises of God. I have those promises. I remember the one who said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I remember the teaching of Jesus and the Apostle John that said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul remembered those promises. He knew those promises. And so he could be content even when he faced death because he knew he was going to win either way. It's also why the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, not angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come, not height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But Paul wanted them to know that he he wasn't just looking to die. He had a reason to live. And so look at verse 22. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul's saying, hey, if I go, that's going to be awesome. I'll get to be with the Lord sooner and experience the glories of heaven, but... If I stay, it's because he's not done with me yet and he still wants me to minister to you and to others. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. He's saying, if God answers this prayer and I believe he will, it's gonna be an opportunity for us to give God all the glory. And then he concludes with this, whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That kind of is the practical side of this now. We've talked about the reason to have that contentment, and it's based in a communion with Christ, a fellowship with other believers, to have a proper perspective, and to have a, a reason to live, a reason to die. And we need to remember our purpose, and that purpose involves conducting ourselves, living our life in a way that would honor Christ. We're not worthy of what God has done for us, but as we receive that grace, we should live in a manner that honors him and and is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith in the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. We don't like to hear this, but again, the scriptures are honest with us and upfront with us. And Paul was upfront. He's saying, we got all this grace and all this goodness and peace, 
And that's been granted to us, but along with that, we need to understand it's also been granted that we're going to suffer because of it. But it's okay. doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. In fact, it's all the more reason to stay focused on Christ and stay faithful, even when we go through discontented and troubling times. So let me ask you this. What do you live for? What do you live for? Are you living for money, material possessions, more stuff, pleasure, the next outing you have? What do you live for? Because what you live for will determine whether or not you will experience contentment, true contentment or not in your life. Do you have anything to look forward to when you die? Because if you don't, you're not going to be content. You might be temporarily, but ultimately there's going to be that uncertainty. Christ offers you a way to experience true contentment. He gave his life for you. He rose again. He wants you to believe in him, trust in him. Again, he is not abusive. He gives you the choice and he presents himself and says, I want, I want to be in relationship with you. Will you receive that offer? Will you invite me into your soul, your spirit, your life? And if you will do that, you'll begin to find that basis, that foundation of the peace and the contentment that only he can bring. So do you have something to look forward to when you die? And do you have a purpose in living now? Would you stand and uh, put that last slide up as we stand we're going to pray. But here's just a recap. Four things that I hope you'll remember. Communion with Christ, that's first. Then fellowship with other true followers of Christ. Have a proper perspective. Learn to get that developed. And then remember your purpose for living in Christ and Christ's promises and death. And that is the basis for the other things that we're going to learn through Philippians and how to experience contentment. Lord, thank you for your word. It's timeless. It's true. Thank you for everybody who has listened to this message today, whether in person or online. Thank you, Lord, that you give me something worth talking about. And thank you, Lord, that you give me something worth living for and something worth dying for. And Lord, it's not just for me, it's for all of us. It's for anyone hearing this message. So right now, if there's anyone who has not trusted Christ as Savior, I, I just pray right now, open your life, your heart to him. He knows your heart and pray and invite him in. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to fill your life with his spirit and ask him to begin to help you feel the contentment and peace that only he can bring. And Lord, for those of us who have prayed that prayer, thank you for reminding us today of these things that will help us when we get distracted by all the turmoil around us and we take our eyes off of this. Forgive us. Thank you for reminding us today and helping us to get centered again on the basis of contentment. And I pray that you'll use this message to encourage all of us to look to you and to trust you, and to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel, and to honor you with our lives in your precious name. Amen.